Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go Into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Earthwork, your calling? Do you long to witness and support the awesome power of women as we make life, form kinship, and transform the world through undisturbed, mother-centered birth? In your most expansive vision of your life, are you the authentic midwife of your community? Walking in total grace, reciprocity, and trust with women through the sacred portal of pregnancy and birth? Then our groundbreaking Radical Birth Keeper School is for you. It's an immersive and intensive, fast-paced live program in all things authentic midwifery and self-mastery that will give you the blueprint and guidance to launch a life-altering, world-shaking Radical Birth brand and business. Think birth business mastermind, life-changing coaching intensive, deep dive into all things birth, step-by-step roadmap for serving women authentically, and the wise woman initiation that you have been dreaming of, all rolled into one epic program that will change your entire life. It is time to become the lighthouse that guides women home to themselves. Head over to RadicalBirthKeeperSchool.com and grab your spot because we are enrolling now and we always sell out. Say yes to your calling and join us in this revolution of bringing birth back home. www.RadicalBirthKeeperSchool.com Today on the show, I'm talking with my friend Vivian about birth as a catalyst for deep maturation. With her first baby, Vivian had a medicalized birth, and although she free birthed her second son, she brought him into the hospital two days postpartum. She left 11 days later with a commitment to do things differently the next time around. Vivian's third birth was powerful and glorious, and she speaks about how it even healed her relationship with her own mother. Vivian. Emily. I'm excited to be doing this with you today. And, you know, for the back story very quickly, um, I just want to share that you are a recent graduate of the Radical Birthkeeper School. And so I got to know you quite intimately in those 12 weeks. And then we went on to do a little bit of coaching together where I got to hear your story. And when I heard it, um, yeah, I knew that I wanted to have it shared on the podcast uh, and we'll get into why. I don't want to give any any spoilers, but um, I do want to preface this to say that I'm just so proud of you and I'm, I'm really, I really sincerely mean this. I'm really blown away by your story and your resilience and your willingness to um, just really like learn and practice trust in your mothering. So yeah. Thank you. Don't make me crying yet. <laughs> thank you so much. I, oh, um, thank you for having me, Emily. I'm so excited to share. And yeah, it's been uh, birth, pregnancy. It's been such a like a wild journey for me. You know, I started in the system in the medical system, which for me is interesting because before I even had. Uh, before I even got pregnant for the first time, I was very resistant to a lot of the allopathic, 
you know, the system. So once again, like the, like peeling back the layers of how much we're kind of brainwashed in all these different ways and feeling like I, the only option I had was, you know, these like going to the OB and getting all of these uh, tests done and all of that. So when I got pregnant for the first time, I was in a very abusive relationship that Mm. I left three months in. And it was like, kind of like an escape scenario where I just like, just figured out a way to escape. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was like a pretty dark time, but I knew uh, there was just something in me that knew that mothering was what was like, right. What was next is where I was like supposed to head. So um, moved back to my hometown with my parents for a bit in North Carolina, and then ended up moving back to LA and um, yeah, went through the whole rigmarole of the OBs and all of that there. The setup is you are, you leave an abusive relationship. You are 24, you're three months in, you try to go be with family, but then you wind up coming back to LA, right? And you're just going through the stuff on your own. Basically, my sister lived in LA as well, and I really was hoping for more um, of her presence, but I guess she had her own life going on, so it was really hard for her, and I didn't have much of a community there at that time, so, you know, in hindsight, it's like, that was a really bad idea, but, you know, it's all good. Um, Yeah, so I, like, start doing prenatals with this, this doctor who convinced, tries to convince me my baby is, um, my due date is wrong. My baby is too big. I, I should really trying to push a C-section on me, told me like, no, your due date is a month sooner than you think. I mean, all of the like testing you could possibly do all that. Like we have to do so many ultrasounds. We have to do the 3d ultrasounds. And, you know, I just didn't know, I didn't have any knowledge outside of, um, outside of what, you know, I was being told. So, and also just in a really weak, fragile state, my mom would come to, to, to support me. She would fly out there to support me, but her, my relationship with her at that time was also very rocky. So, um, yeah. So by the time I went into labor, I, my water broke and maybe about 12 hours later, I woke up, my water broke at night. The next morning I woke up barely any contractions, like any, not really anything worth thinking of, but went to the hospital. Didn't really, you know, I I guess it's all kind of a blur at that point. Like, I feel like you're not really told much of anything You're You're just kind of like run through the system. So what, you know, receiving Pitocin, not really being told anything about Pitocin and which, you know, I went in there with like a birth plan of like, I don't want the epidural. I want to, you know, I just want to have my baby um, without drugs and all that. And of course the Pitocin gets you to a point where you're like, you're, you cannot handle the pain coming on that fast. We are designed to slowly get the pain in waves so that when it gets really intense, we've like worked up our tolerance to that point. And it just came on so fast. And it was, I just remember being like, looking at my sister and crying and being like, I think I need an epidural. And she was like, it's okay. Like trying to make me feel okay about it. Like, that's okay. And I was just like, no, I'm so, I feel so guilty. I didn't want this and ended up getting it. You know, they do the whole thing of like, well, you have to get it now because if it's too late, if you wait too long and getting the epidural and then, you know, I mean, this is like kind of like really sad, but I just remember once it kicked in, just being like, oh, I feel fine. I feel great now, you know, and in hindsight, like, oh, that's so cringy. But, you know, in the moment was just like, okay. Um, Well, you were being tortured with pharmaceuticals that are intended to wreck your body. And then you're given more pharmaceuticals so that you can dissociate. Exactly. Yeah, it's cringy, but it also makes total sense that there would be relief when you can numb out from the torture that your body's going through. Exactly. And that's like, not to even mention just like, you know, many women talk about like that experience of being in the hospital with like the bright lights and all these strangers surrounding you. 
yeah, not a pleasant experience at all. So, you know, my, all the, the stuff of, you know, my, they told me to push, I, I did it. They, my baby got taken away to go be cleaned. Like, oh, um, so we got into our little like room where they put us and, um, Steve has jaundice. And that's when they're like, all right, we need to put him under the lights. And I remember this, this, this whole, this birth story is just like so fuzzy to me, the memory of it. I remember, um, I stayed the night and, or I stayed, they, I just remember at one point they were like, you have to go, but we're keeping your baby here. And I was like, I don't understand. How is that even like, how can you do that? And they're like, I can't stay. And they're like, no, you have to go. We're keeping your baby here. So I was away from him from what, for one night. And then I think got him the next day. They had him under the billy lights, you know, all the bullshit. So, you know, I am, I mothering is like, just what I'm here to do. I love, I love being a mom. It was so um, it was so easy to put the trauma aside and just like, um, just be in love with my baby. And it was, um, it melted away the, the hardship. So I, I healed well. I didn't feel like postpartum was traumatic at all. I had family here supporting me. Um, my mom and a close family friend came and they really helped me, even though it was just like awful to deal with just, you know, um, they were very helpful. And yeah, I think I was just like, so in, in love, I like, I didn't really let myself think too much about the experience. And also, like you said, it's such a standard, you're, you know, we're just kind of told like, oh, at least your baby's healthy. At least you, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, I just kind of soaked in the joy of motherhood. I mean, it it was rough. I struggled for like a while. I ended up moving back to Wilmington, uh, my hometown with my parents, maybe like eight months after he was born. Um, just being like, I can't, I can't do this, you know, here alone. So, um, there's like so much that happens in between there and, uh, getting pregnant with my next baby, but my father passed away in that time. I, I lived in my hometown for a bit and then my family kind of had a little bit of a falling out and I moved, um, I was dating someone at the time and Steve and I moved with him to Seattle And then that relationship ended and I decided to move back to LA. And then um, within maybe six months of moving back to LA was when I met Brett and pretty soon into our relationship, I got pregnant. And at that point, you know, Brett is a very, uh, very like holistic minded person like me. So we kind of started it with just like very in sync of like, you know, going through a holistic pregnancy as much as possible, went to a few appointments. And I remember leaving after, I think it was the third appointment and looking at Brett. Well, this is actually, I don't think I've ever told this to anybody, but during one of my appointments, the, the, um, the doctor who was like in apprenticeship, he wasn't actually like a practicing doctor yet. Um, he like, uh, was, going to like put his hand inside of me to do all the checking or whatever. And he put his gloves on and I'm still, I'm like, so disappointed in myself for not saying something, but he put his gloves on and then started like touching other things around the room, no, around the room. And then put his hands inside of me. And I'm like, you're putting your dirty ass hands that you've been touching the room with inside of me. And Oh, I'll never, I just, the image is like so sharp in my mind. I remember just being so grossed out by that. So it might've been then when we left the building and got in the car and I looked over at Brett and I was like, I don't ever want to go to a doctor appointment again. And Brett was like, okay, I support that. And I was like, okay, then that's, that's where it ends. And, um, that was, have you heard about free birth yet? I think that was like, it, it coincided. I think it was like, maybe right before I opted out was when I started, I found free birth society. And I just was like hooked on all the, I like listened to every single episode and just started doing research and like mind blown. I cannot believe that this is like 
a thing. I can't believe that this exists. So yeah, that really actually the free society podcast is like what carried me through. Oh, I didn't know. Um, yeah. What carried me through that, the rest of that pregnancy and, um, you know, how well, it, I wish I had known you then. <laughs> um, there actually, I remember maybe hours after soul was born, I looked over at Brett and I was like, I just want to send Emily a message and tell her and thank her for like, she's the reason that I was able to do this. I mean, Oh, it's so beautiful. Um, so that was like a beautiful pregnancy. Uh, I, you know, after opting out, it was just, you know, I mean, there was like stress and stuff, but overall it was just like, uh, a really easy going pregnancy labor was, that was like, that was an awesome labor experience. I remember my water broke. We were at Brett's mom's house and my water broke and we, actually, no, my water didn't break. I just started getting contractions and we decided to go back home. And the plan was his mom was going to stay with Steve. So we could just have the house to ourselves and we go back home. And it's just like the dance of, of like labor. I was like, I remember walking around outside and like water is like coming out and, um, uh, like bouncing on the ball and just kind of moving back and forth. And then there was this one part where, I was under the blanket. I was really cold, just like wrapped up in the blanket and having those intense, like insane contractions. And like, I would get the, the pain would come on so strong. And I just kind of like growl through it or something. And then when the pain went away, I was just in the cosmos, like totally tripping out somewhere else and very aware that I was like, what I was doing, what my body was doing for me. It was so beautiful. So drifting in and out of this for a while. And then, and I had been like going in and out of the bathtub this whole time. And then I remember at one point, like, I was like, okay, time to move on. It's like, I've been doing this little dance, like this little gentle sweetness in the bed. It's time to move on from that. So I was like, I'm going to go to the bathtub time to go like get real. Like, I think we lit some candles and I told Brett like the whole time I had like sweet, gentle music playing. I was like, all right, time to put on like your music was just like EDM music. I was like, time to put on something like to get me going, (laughs) which is so not me. That's like never what I'm really called to. Um, and at that point, just like going through it, the pain lessened at this point, I didn't feel so like full of the pain of the contraction, but just like, okay, we're moving to like the pushing stage. And this is all just like feeling it. There's no, you know what I mean? You're just like your body naturally is very like giving you all the clues of what to do. So I remember going to sit on the toilet and giving a good push and like, oh, his head just came out. And I remember screaming, screaming to Brett and I was like, his head's out, his head's out. So Brett comes running over and I'm like, help me up. So he like helps me stand up and I end up uh, birthing him fully while I'm like hands on the um, sink, like on the counter. And um, yeah, Brett caught him. I was just kind of like hovering over and it was just beautiful. And oh, it was so beautiful. I remember, I think within like 30 minutes, the placenta came out and just like snuggled in the bed. It was beautiful. It's perfect. And, um, you know, halfway through the next day, I just started feeling a little bit paranoid about the jaundice. Cause right. That's like the story of like, well, if your one kid had jaundice, you should, you know, beware of jaundice in your next kid. So started feeling paranoid about that. that. You didn't know know that's one of the lies they say. Yeah. That's one of the lies I was told. Um, so I started feeling really paranoid because soul was just very tired. I mean, he was very alive, but also just like, wasn't nursing as much. And I think that I can, I can definitely say that I, I didn't put the, I didn't push the breastfeeding to the degree that I should have in that I like, wasn't trying as much. I think I was just so tired and happy the baby was there or whatever. And, um, just started getting like really paranoid about the jaundice seeing the yellow. So what we decided to do was find a midwife, someone like, you know, close by who would just come check him out. And that was like, yeah. 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 And this sweet lady, I don't remember her name. She came by 
she was like, oh, he, he seems fine, but you probably want to go to just go to the doctor and, you know, get your doctor to look. So we do that. And the doctor's like, what's the point of these midwives? Yeah. To just tell you to go see a doctor. Yeah. I mean, they just trying to protect themselves. Right. So everyone's trying to, it's just such a, it's all such a farce. Like a real midwife would support you and your baby. not tell you to just go into the place that abused you and took your baby from you last time. Ugh. Okay. Yeah. So we go to the doctor Mm -hmm. and they are like, Oh, you need to go to the hospital to get the bilirubin test. So we take him to do that. And when they get the results, the doctor calls and he's like, you need to take the the baby to the hospital. Now his bilirubin's really high. So we show up, oh, it just gets so dark here. We show up at the hospital. They put us in like the pediatrics, I guess. I'm not sure why, but they didn't even put them in the NICU. They put them in, in the pediatrics. And the, by the way, like this part of the hospital was empty. There was like no one there. So we have, they have just like doctors rotating in, right? So you're seeing a new doctor every 12 hours or something like that. And the first I think three doctors we saw, which were all women were very like, Oh, he's fine. You just need to keep him under the the billy lights, like blah, blah, blah. He's fine. And then comes this male doctor who, I don't know, you could just feel the energy of he's like, Oh, something's wrong. He must have an infection. There must, there's something wrong. So they do, they, they do a catheter to do a urine sample. Hmm. They, um, they're do like taking blood at this point often because they're constantly checking his blood. And I'm trying to remember like the sequence of how this happened. Um, I made a really, or then they do a spinal tap. <gasps> they convince, yeah, they, they'll, well, it's not even convinced because at that point you don't get to say no, you, especially when it's like a baby, maybe for me, I could, but like, you can't say no. So like, we need to do a spinal tap Wasn't and it like fear of meningitis or something. Yeah. Something out. And oh. I even, and I didn't even remember this. Brett just recently reminded me that they messed it up the first time and did it twice oh. on my little baby. Cause I wasn't there for the spinal tap. They, they could only take one, one of us and Brett went with them. And you're like day one or day two. This is day two or three, I think. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. So rough. And you know, that came back negative of course, because I knew there was nothing wrong with my baby and I just made a huge mistake. <sighs> and then, and then I, then I made a horrible mistake where I was like, um, I felt like he was like, kind of just, just like babies do like kind of breathing, you know, having like those, not, it's not like that flowing breath necessarily. They just kind of have like interrupted breath a little bit, nothing wrong. Just I kind of did the same thing. Um, and I remember being like, I can't tell if he's like, if it's like breathing is normal. And that that same doctor was like, Oh, then we need to do an x-ray or whatever, some type of scan of his lungs. We need to scan his lungs. He must have some type of infection in his lungs. So they do, I don't remember what it was. And, um, yeah. He like brings back the scan thing and he's like, Oh, do you see this right here? He's got pneumonia. This is pneumonia right here. And we're like, what? Like, no way. There's no way. And at this point they had been trying really hard to push antibiotics since we got there, push antibiotics on soul. And we were very resistant. We we're just like, I, I told him I'm not, I'm not giving him antibiotics unless I have to. Like you're, I'm not, I don't want to give my child antibiotics. And it's like, this guy was trying to find a reason, like trying to find something. So they, he comes back with the skin. He's like, see, we have to give him antibiotics. So that's the point where they put him on, um, IV antibiotics and they're like, you're going to be here. You know, we don't know how long you're going to have to be here. We're just going to have to see how things progress. I ended up being there a total. I, I believe it was like 11 days. I didn't leave the hospital once. Of course I didn't, I didn't want to leave him. So luckily my free birth, because of how beautiful my free birth was, I felt fine despite being freshly postpartum. Like I, I could handle it. I would not, I was not willing to leave my baby. Um, 
But at one point in this whole thing, a infectious disease specialist comes to check on the baby, right? So they call someone in to come check on Solray. And the doctor with no other doctors around this infectious disease specialist is like, oh, you know, um, like he's fine. Like he didn't fully say it. Like it was, it was like very implied, like he's okay. Like none of like none of basically implying, like none of this is really necessary. Like your baby's okay. You should be able to go home. So at that point, after he came to visit us, we go and we're like, we want to go home. We're going to take our baby home. And that's when they threaten with um, CPS and they're like, no, you can't take him. We're going to call CPS on you. If you try to take your baby home now, we're like, we'll give them the antibiotics, but like, we're going to take, no, we'll, we'll call CPS on you. So yeah, finished out our stay there. It was, I remember they um, made me sign a waiver to sleep with my baby. They were like, you need to leave him in the little plastic tub. And I was like, they're like, it's not safe for him to be sleeping with you. And I'm like, you mean it's not safe for him to be sleeping in his mother's arms? Like, what are you talking about? So I had to sign a waiver for that. Um, And then I guess the end of that experience Mm -hmm. was when we took him to see the pediatrician, uh, you know, a few days after we were, we were released from the hospital, he sat down with us and was like, I want to personally like apologize on behalf of basically like every, everything that just happened was he, because he was, he was friends with the infectious disease specialist. And he was like, I talked to a doctor, whoever, and like what they did to you guys and to your baby was completely unnecessary. Did you get that on tape and then (laughs) see their asses? But the thing is like, this is the problem with going into a system rooted in pathology, like you and anyone bringing a baby into the system and going, is something wrong? They're going to be like, well, let me do it. Let me use all my toys to find exactly. So like, as far as they're concerned, they literally did right by your family. Like obviously one guy apologized to you, but that other dude, it's his job to use everything at his disposal to find something wrong. Right. Well, I found it interesting that we had several doctors before him who were like, okay, just the whole, you know, jaundice rigmarole. And then this guy is like determined to find something deeper. Yeah, you're right. He was like, it's like a game. It's like, oh, let me find all the way, all the, all the interventions. I can literally their job. Yeah. That's why it's so bonkers that we bring our children there and that we go there. It's, it's such a weird, uh, logic, you know, to be like, do everything harmful to find out if we're okay. Right. It's so upsetting, but I get it obviously from your, you know, you had the, the jaundice drama with your first kiddo. And we're still working it out. Yeah. And I, you know, it, once again, peeling back those layers, you know, I felt so confident in my birth and my pregnancy. And then here I arrived at a point where it was like, oh goodness. So the healing of that comes in the next story with baby Kai. I got pregnant with Kai, no doctors, nothing like that. Just went through it. Um, How How old was soul when you got pregnant? Two. I believe. Yeah. And are you back in North Carolina yet? Yes. I'm living at, we're living at my mom's house. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, I got pregnant with Kai just, I mean, it was a rough pregnancy being around so many people and all that. And, um, then it was like in the middle of all the pandemic nonsense. Um, and that was, that labor was, uh, yeah, shorter. And I remember my water broke around six in the morning and I was like, all right, cool, let's do this. And then 12 hours later, I'm like, 
what's happening? Like nothing's happening. I'm ready for something to happen, you know? And, um, you know, my mom and her boyfriend had taken, uh, Steven soul. So it was just, you know, Brett and I kind of, we're like playing games and like writing in our journals together, like, all right, let's make this happen. And probably like, um, around six or seven in the evening is when like the real intense labor starts kicking in. And I remember at one point I knew I could birth Kai then, but I was like, no, I need to rest. I need to like, just lay down and rest for a little bit first. I'm just not ready. Like I'm not ready to do it. I knew he was ready and I just wasn't ready. So I just remember laying in the bed and like, same thing going through through those contractions and being like, ah, and, um, my, uh, my mom's boyfriend, bless him. I like told him, I was like, I might want a toilet type thing again. Like I had with soul, but I don't want it to be the toilet this time. So we found a chair and he like cut a big hole in, in the chair. So if I wanted to push the head oh, out again, sitting on a chair. Cool. Yeah. So, um, I ended up, I don't know if I, I guess I did push his head out there again. Um, but I think I was kind of like leaning against the, the, this chair when I fully pushed Kai out and yeah, that was like, a, a I really gave into like the, the, the roars, like the lioness just, um, being really loud, which is really nice. No one else in the house <laughs> seemed to mind so much. My mom was so sweet. Um, she just kept kind of popping in with just so much loving energy, just to check on things. Like it wasn't disruptive at all. It was just such love and then leaving respectfully. And, um, as soon as the baby was born, she came in and just like helped with cleanup. And I remember getting up being like, I need to go take a shower and starting to faint. My mom was like, no, you need to lay down. And then I wasn't prepared for how intense the contractions are for like, for the placenta that it, I just didn't experience that. I mean, I don't, I don't even remember birthing the placenta really with Steve and then with soul, I just, it kind of birthed within, you know, but the contractions, I remember just like having Kai there and being like, still having just these insane, painful contractions and being yeah. like, Oh, no one really warns you how bad that can be. So we're just like desperate to get the placenta out. Um, and then like, within a day kind of seeing some of the little signs of jaundice on this and on Kai. And it was just so easy. I like really at that point had, um, I was just in like such total trust of all of it. And, and it was very easy to be like, keep him on the boob as much as possible and get him out in the sun. And I didn't stress about it. It was, it was like, okay, there's a little bit of yellowness here there, you know, that's Okay keeping it on the boob, getting out in the sun, seeing it, but just like knowing like, this is, this isn't, this isn't as scary as like, I've been led to believe. And I, and I, and I went into it knowing I'm, I like, I'm not going to give into this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to give into like the, the fear around surrounding jaundice. And also the Billy Rubin lights are synthetic sunlight, right? It doesn't, it makes actually make any sense when, makes when you're a home birther, if you're like a C-section woman in the hospital and you're going to be there for five days and you're not going to go outside and get sunlight. Okay. Maybe, I guess, I don't know, probably not. I still wouldn't do it, but still, you know, like at home, it doesn't actually make any sense to makes no sense. go in for synthetic support when it is, uh, it is imitating yeah, we have. Yeah, exactly. So yes, at that point it was just like, okay, well I get it. I like, it sucks to have learned the hard way and seen, you know, especially with Sol Ray, what he went through. Um, brutal. Yeah. I mean, Brett and I still just like, we get really weepy about it. If it comes up in conversation and he's sitting there playing with us and we're just like, sweet thing just fucking torture man that's what it's torture it's torture what they do we we are learning the hard way and then we speak it and we'll teach it to our sisters you know there will be women who hear your story who do not go into the system for support around jaundice yeah 
and then hopefully they just don't have to learn the hard way. Yeah, I, I um, actually ran into a situation um, a couple weeks ago. I was selling at the market. I was selling my products and uh, I have like a little sign that says book a session with me that I put out. And, you know, often people just, oh, what kind of sessions do you do? So this woman stops. She's asking me. And I was like, oh, and I do birth work. And she's like, oh, so you're a doula. And I was like, oh, it's actually I guiding. I'm a radical birth keeper. It's guiding women who are more interested in autonomous birth and really just want support as they, you know, trust them themselves. Uh, and we kind of dig into it a little bit. And, and I was like, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of trauma that surrounding like the conventional uh, birthing system. And she was like, well, I had three babies in the hospital with epidural. So should I, am I traumatized? Kind of, there's like, like a little bit of snark to what she was saying. And I was like, oh, I've also had, um, a baby in the hospital and had my epidural and I, and I've, and I've had a free birth with no, nobody else there. And yeah, there's a huge difference between the two. And, but my point being is like, as much as I carry, um, sadness for what my hospital birth gave me, I do appreciate being able to share that contrast. And like, I, I did do that. And I do know how like awful it is. And especially when you experience the other side of it and you're like, Oh my God, it can be this birth can be this. It doesn't have to be that like, so I, I, it is, yeah, the, learning the hard way does give us a richer story to share. And, you know, she kind of backed off at that point and was just like, kind of like that. All right. I respect you, you know. And um, like, we're not here to tell other women they have trauma. Like exactly. That's a silly defensive way, you know, of course, for her to take it. And also in the, at the same time, it'd be very easy for me to argue that when a mother baby are birthed on drugs, there is inherently trauma to the systems, to the nervous system, to the, you know, physical, spiritual, you know, all of it. And, and, and also someone who doesn't want to look at that is not, um, is not a good candidate (laughs) for that conversation. Yeah. It was like, (laughs) I see what we're doing here. I'm not, you know, and I'm like, I, I make it a point to be like, I'm not, here to convince anybody of anything. I'm just, Uh you know, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, things that stand out to me about you and about your like maturation process beyond these births is, you know, what you've, what you've shared a little bit with me around navigating your oldest son and his, his challenging years and his anger and, that's one thing that comes up if you wanted to just share anything around that, because so many women are out there navigating big, big anger and confusion with their sons and possibly daughters. And, you know, people don't really talk about this stuff and it's not, it doesn't feel like a, yeah, like a welcomed exploration, I think, in in the public eye. Also, this beautiful repair and rewrite that you've done with your mother is so cool and so inspiring. And I think of how many women are out there currently struggling with their moms and that your story kind of, you know, can offer this like hope in that the story is not done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I didn't share that's really interesting in the story about my mom is during my first birth um, at the hospital, I remember in the throes of the pain before I got the epidural, I looked over and my mom was sitting in the corner of the room with headphones in on her tablet, just like doing something on her tablet as like my sister's there and a childhood friend is there with me. And I'm just, and I just remember that image and just being like, so hurt. And at this time, you know, at this time in my life, I ha- I have an awful relationship with my mom. And, um, and I remember referencing back to that many times to remind myself of like, you know, I have a terrible relationship with my mom and kind of telling myself like this might never heal. you know, I think a lot of us tell, you know, how could this ever be healed? It was your evidence. 
Yeah, um, exactly. And I wanted to have that evidence because mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed the victim feeling of that story and the the real healing moment for that to, to totally like uh, bring that full circle in this beautiful way was um, during my my uh, labor with Kai, my mom, you know, she didn't nec- she doesn't necessarily agree with she doesn't disagree. She doesn't, she's kind of ambivalent. She's, she's got the mindset of Vivian's always going to do whatever she wants to do. So I'm not here to tell her what to do. I just need to support her. Um, but she like held space, like no other. She, I, you could, I could just feel the energy of love, no judgment, no like fear. And, you know, my mom kind of tends to like dip into that side, you know, and it was just pure. She was there like in every way that I needed her, but she wasn't overbearing. Oh, it was so beautiful. I just have such a, um, yeah, it just brings me like so much joy to think how that healed and how like the, the contrast of that. Um, yeah, the healing my relationship with my mom has, is something I'm so proud of. I talk about it at least once a day or I, I, every time I'm with my mom, I like, I just like gaze at her and I'm like, I, you're my, I just, I'm so blessed. I'm so grateful to have a mom like you. Um, cause I realize you know what it is. I realize I'm just like her or like, <laughs> or I'm intimidated I'm intimidated by the the things about her that, um, that maybe I want to become more like, but struggle with, you know, my mom's always been a presence and most of my life I was like, uh, very introverted. So, um, I think a big part of it is accepting the truth of like how much I am like my mom and, um, and really like looking at for her, at her for all of, all of her beauty and, it's like you, you, things are what you put energy into, right? So if I sat there and focused on the moments that annoy me, which I used to do all the time, the things about her personality that would maybe annoy me. And I don't do that anymore. She does something that annoys me. I just kind of brush it off or make a joke. Like she's the one who taught me to like, have a good sense of humor about stuff, like laugh in like the serious dark moments, like bring it if you're annoyed. So now she says something that annoys me. I just like, say a really funny joke or something like we find we found this way to communicate so even if we're like not in the same place we can still be loving and at peace so I'm actually learning that like she is I think um she practices without thinking about it a lot of things that people spend years trying to learn a lot of like Buddhist of philosophies she she has figured out without like studying it she's just naturally there I t- I'm like wow my mom is just way more than I ever gave her credit for so um yeah that's really beautiful and Steve oh my Steve yeah he went through a period three to five of like rough I mean anger to the point where you know my mom and her boyfriend and everyone was like you know, Steve needs help. He's got like, it's bad. He's got real serious issues. And I guess my, the number one thing I've, I've, I've changed is realizing that, you know, our, our children mirror our, our, our sense of self, you know, how much we love ourselves and how much we care for ourselves is, is they witness that. And they, it's so interesting. Like you can't, there's no lying in this. There's no deceiving this. Like your children are reflecting what it is you are feeling. It's energetic. It is not, you can tell your child one thing, but they know and they feel it. And you really have to do the work to heal your wounds to help them see you in your light and then they can find more playfulness and step out of that anger. And now we've, you know, Steve and I have this really, I mean, it's not perfect, but we, we, we found this really, these really beautiful ways to help him through his anger. We do like, um, earthing meditations where he goes outside and he puts his feet in his hands in the dirt. And he, he, he does this thing where he goes, I release this energy. I release this energy. And (laughs) um, if he's like really angry, he like goes and yells into a pillow 
or, you know, we, we've like come up with a, you know, we try all kinds of stuff, but I think we're easily triggered into um, responding a certain way when, you know, maybe we're embarrassed or maybe we're just like shocked and we're, or we're like disrupted by our child's anger, but it really is true when they're like, meet them with love, meet them with love. Like even when it feels impossible, because a child acting out really is just a child who needs connection. Like it sounds so simple, but you know, we're adults, we get caught up in, in all of it. And if Steve can like work past what we were seeing with him with his anger, I really believe in all children. And I'm like <laughs> very hopeful because it was, it was bad. And I really had to go deep, see that I, you know, especially we had, you know, three years of it being just me and Steve. I was a single mom and um, he heavily is influenced by my state. And even to this day, like if I'm sick, if I get sick, he's, it really affects him. You see a huge change in him. He gets, you know, so um, yeah, we have to do, that's like, we, we owe that to our children to do as much personal healing and personal growth and learning a lot of the tools that you taught us in the RBK school. Um, Cause that's actually like, seriously, so much that I've learned in the radical birthkeeping school has completely changed my entire life. I mean, every relationship that I have, it is completely changed. It is completely changed the relationships in the pe- amongst like the people in my life outside of me, just by what I've learned changing my behavior, realizing I can't change anybody else, but what I can do is change myself. And then people will kind of start paying attention and following Sue. And it's been so beautiful. I loved having you in it. Well, tell everyone how they can find you because you have your own podcast that you're rocking and you have all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah. So I have a, um, I I'm an herbalist. I sell, um, skincare and herbal remedies. It's mama Pachamama. You can find me at mama Pachamama on Instagram, um, mama Pachamama.com, the mama Pachamama podcast, um, <laughs> really milk really milking the mama Pachamama. Um, and yeah, it's all just like holistic, uh, organic, um, all the things that like that I stand by, I, you know, I have a, you know, some of my history before birth of like, um, healing myself from childhood illness and things like that. Um, so I just really stand by holistic modalities for healing and I'm just all about that healing. So you can find me on there and yeah, I just finished the radical birth keeping school, which was just Oh, um, I, I mentioned this to you, but I want to say it on here that that was such an important thing to me because I have trauma associated with school in general. I didn't do well in school growing up and I always felt forced on me. And so for the first time in my life, I invested in my education in something that like brought me light and joy. And so I came to the school being like, cool, I'll learn about free birth. And like, I'll learn about birth. Like that's, that's. And oh my God, I had no idea. I didn't even like look into what the school was. It was just kind of like a, I think I want to do this. Okay. I'm gonna, that's literally what I was like. I think I want to do this. Okay. I'm going to do it. Um, and I would do it a thousand times over again. It has been the most um, healing, healing that wound, the education learning wound. And um, the best investment I've made in my, in like financial investment I've made in myself um, and so many beautiful women I met through there and like talking with you and Yolanda has been, it's insane. Like I, you just don't know, you don't know until you know, so you can have women tell you about how amazing the RBK school is, but until you experience it and immersed in it and man, if you guys do it in person, that'll just be like, well, I want to do level one probably won't ever be, but once yo can come to the States level two in person is definitely a fantasy I'm still holding on to but obviously it's not looking like it's not looking good out there (laughs) all right girlfriend all right Emily thank you you bye bye 
that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one and group coaching, learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Free Birth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honoured. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralysing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts. Keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from